Okay, I'm kneeling and bow with Chris Stack, and he is the star of Midday Black, Midnight Blue. Hi, Chris. Hi, Robin. Thanks for having me. I love your backdrop too. Thank you. Which which one? I got a few <laughs> a few pieces. You've got like cassettes behind you. It looks like I've got cassettes, and I've got pictures of cassettes. This is this is my tape collection from leftover from the '80s, and this is Joe Strummer's part of Joe Strummer's tape collection. Wow! If if I can see some of those titles. Yeah, can you? No. <laughs> some of some of the real ones. These are a lot of these are mixes that friends made for me, or that I made for friends. You know, going back to the '80s. And these are all ones that Joe Strummer made that are different, like Afro-Cubano for some of the, he's got a whole series of those, Hip City Soul, like he's got this whole series of just different kinds of music, Magic Ska, Super Ska, Blues, Blues. And there's one that's called Aaron, which I'm assuming is Irish music, but that's my, my wife's name is Aaron. So I like that he had a tape called Aaron. Were these tapes that you put together or is he a friend of yours? No, Joe Strummer was the uh, the uh, guitar player and the singer for The Clash. Yeah. 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 So this was like his, it was a, um, it was a, it's a, it's actually just a, um, a detail of a uh, photograph of part of his, his tape selection. How? I wish he was a friend of mine. And when I listen to his music, sometimes he feels like a friend of mine. <laughs> Speaking of music, I can only imagine the type of music you must have been listening to for this film. Uh, yeah, there is a there was a there was a wide variety of music. You know, a lot of um, a lot of it was I'm trying to think. I put together a whole kind of a Spotify playlist, and a lot of things I haven't listened to it in a while because it's very it's still very evocative. You know, there are a lot of a lot of things when you when you work on a performance that become um, muscle memory, and so some of that music that I used then it triggers some of those muscles still two years later. So some of it I I just don't listen to anymore, or I haven't been able to listen to in a while. I but know because you were in such a heavy place in that role. Well, some of it is weird, you know, it's like, it's not necessarily Mahler or anything that's like super weighty. Some of it is like 80s one hit wonders that just, you know, immediately transport you to a place. And um, I was talking with somebody earlier about um, the experience of loss as having, you know, it's not, um, it's having had something and lost it, obviously, by definition. So when you think a lot of the music that I listened to was um, music that put me in a really specific place in my life that was super positive or very innocent or very loving or very connected. And then as you set aside that music, you're kind of setting aside that metaphorically that place. Um, and you're setting aside that place of connection and that place of love and that place of, um, innocence and happiness and so in setting it aside you are kind of quote unquote losing it so that mix is really I should go back it makes me want to go back and see what's in there <laughs> I'm really curious to know what's in there I I would love to hear that mixtape <laughs> why don't I go why don't I I'll, why don't I sift through I think I can pull it up on my on my playlist right now I can just rattle off a few titles to you 
the melody of a song that Lou Graham sang called Just Between You and Me, the thing about music, you know, capital, capitalized title it, the thing about music, the thing that just kind of trips your heartstrings sometimes. Um, there's a little Tom Petty on here. Oh, yeah. There's a really old Duran Duran song on here. There's some Chris Cornell, um, Tool, R.E.M., Peter Gabriel, Van Morrison. I love it. Yeah. A lot, a lot of really hard stuff. There's some classical stuff. Uh, yeah. Wow, this is kind of this is kind of fun. I haven't looked at this in a while. Even some bad company. Oh Three. boy. <laughs> Paul, Paul Rogers, Paul Simon. Yeah. That's great. We uh, can tell the era that you're from, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just from those titles. Right. So what was it like for you to tap into Ian? Describe that. All in all, and this might seem like a very odd answer but in one word it was it was very positive um and i think along the lines of what we were just talking about um to place yourself in a in the position of somebody who has and then shift into that position of loss is a very complete experience and then on camera and with Sam and Daniel, Daniel process that loss and struggle with it, struggle against it. Um, Ian fights for things and then fights against things. Um, it's a very active struggle that he is engaged in in the film. So it was a very, um, it was an experience that was full of motion. Um, and it was a fear, an experience that was full of emotion, but I think the emotion is a byproduct of the motion, really. Yeah. Um, so, and because the film was written by who it was written by, there's so much humanity and there's so much compassion and there's so much love that like really, it's all, it's all a part of that experience of, 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 of shooting it. So um, I really came through to the other side of the filming process. Um, yes, tired, but like really refreshed. I mean, we kind of, we end, we ended filming at the end of the movie. And, uh, you know, with no spoilers, there is, um, there is a resolution, you know, there is redemption. And um, that is what the struggle is about, you know, and that's what um, processing grief is about. It's about, you know, um, being able to accept um, that you have loved and lost versus never having had loved at all. You shot this um, on location on Whidbey Island, which is yeah. probably one of the most beautiful untapped islands in Washington State. Tell me about the experience that you guys had at the Blue Fox Drive-In. What was that all about? That was super spontaneous. <laughs> I think we'd actually, I can't remember, you have to ask Sam if it was, an, if it was a night off that we then decided to do something with. 
or if it was a night that we would scheduled, we were planned to work, we were scheduled to work and then just decided to do this. It was not in the shooting schedule, but um, Sam and Daniel had this idea and it ended up being what it is in the movie. And we went to this amazing old um, drive-in movie theater on Whidbey Island. And it just so happened to be, oh, and they went in and asked the owner day of, and he was incredibly amenable, basically said, do whatever you want. Good press for him. <laughs> Go wherever you want. He was an amazing guy and was then hosting that night that we shot the senior graduation party from the local Whidbey Island High. So they were all there watching a movie. And like there was, um, there are go-karts, there's video games, um, concessions. And it was this really wonderful human community experience that we then brought our film crew into the middle of and captured some of, but then we're just kind of blown away by what we were doing and where we were doing it and under the circumstances, you know, that we were shooting this movie about this person and these people at a point in their lives, kind of in conjunction with this high school grad party. It's just like, it's just, it was one of those moments that you couldn't have planned and it still kind of um, brings a, a glimmer to my eye thinking about it. Um, yeah, it must have been very serendipitous in a way. 100%, yeah. Yeah. Things that, you know, the whole thing was, uh, the whole thing was spontaneous. And then it went even, you know, when oftentimes when you follow that spontaneity, you find things that are uh, even more unexpected than the most unexpected things that you can imagine. So yeah, it ended up being, it was a really special night. Now, I know that you're a big, big theater actor. And in fact, I've seen a lot of your work on the stage. Oh yeah. Do you have plans to, to come back to the stage anytime soon? I um I have for superstition's sake I can't I won't say what but I um am kind of in consideration for something that I would love to do. So yes, is the short answer to that. I love I love the stage um and I'm hoping to get back to it soon. Yeah. yeah. I was uh, sort of doing a little deep dive on you um and I saw on IMDb now tell me if this is true. You were in 121 episodes of One Life to Live. Oh, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, the thing about, I mean, listen, I was on, you, know, you say 121 episodes, and yet I was on that show for about two years. So I have, um, it's not like, you know, two years of any other television show is maybe most you know back in the day when there are 22 episodes in a season two years would be 44 episodes so right. but a soap opera was unlike any other uh you know television show in that oftentimes you would shoot at least portions of four and five episodes a day you know and we shot um sometimes 80 to 90 pages a day and five days a week and um 
So to be on a hundred and would you say one hundred and twenty-one episodes? Like one hundred and twenty-one. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't that doesn't surprise me. And some of those episodes are, you know, they're they're small. Like, oh, there's there's you know, so and so in the background that counts as an episode. But um, yeah, some of them you're on you're on the entire episode. Such a uh, a juggernaut of acting, right? Yeah. I mean, there's nothing like it. Nothing like it. It was a supreme challenge. It was a supreme joy. Um, and it was just, it was kind of a moment in time. I mean, I know they're, they, they still exist, but not, not many of them. And they, they don't exist in New York anymore. I actually think, so the, I was on One Life to Live and the executive producer and then some of the actors, I don't even know if they're still on it anymore, but they moved to California uh, and were working on General Hospital then, I think. Um, that was my bag, General Hospital, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I, like, I remember friends in high school and in grade school, when I stayed home sick in grade school, I would, you know, pop them on and just not, not understand what the heck was going on. Um, and then I had friends in high school who, I think Young and the Restless was the one that was the most popular with my friends from high school, but I didn't have a VCR, so I couldn't watch. I didn't... Um, I couldn't. You were deprived, Chris. I was, so, I was so deprived, but I made up for it by being on 121 episodes of the life. So. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, now, speaking of television, you're on Interview with the Vampire, which is like one of my favorite shows ever. Cool. Love it. Love it. It's great, you, isn't it? It's so great. Tell, yeah. tell us how you got involved to play Tommy Anderson. Uh, I auditioned. Really? Yeah, I auditioned for it. Um, it's as simple as that. I mean, I, um, you know, you have auditions that come in frequently and I, I've worked on it. I have a, a dear friend who helps me um, work and prepare my auditions and we worked on that one a bunch. And then um, thankfully I got a call back for it. And um, I guess I had known socially I knew Rollin Jones, who was the showrunner, but yeah. years ago, and we hadn't really been in touch, though this project, when it came around, I put myself on tape for it, and then I got in touch with him through a friend of a friend to just say, you know, anything I can do, like, this is great. I, I, just, I just taped for it. That's really exciting. And then I didn't hear anything until uh until later until i got the call back in a producer session and then they were just you know it wasn't um just him who uh needed to be uh convinced it was you know the other executive producers and um and producers alike and the directors and so thankfully i was i was the guy who they wanted so um it was just a really natural even though i did know rollin there was no nepotism really involved in it <laughs> got it and then got it and then shot it and had just a phenomenal experience Super well knowing what a music fan you are new orleans must have been amazing for you oh, it was it's the best i would have loved that show had it had it shot anywhere um, but the fact that it's shot in New Orleans is just next level. I mean, I would, I, I'm, I'm head over heels in love with that town. And um, it's unlike any other city, definitely any other American city. And uh, the music scene, the art scene, the people, the 
topography, the geography, the weather, the just the river, the the food, the music, the whole thing is just, I'm just kind of blown away by that town. So to be able to go there and work on that show and then have a couple of days off to hang out by myself in New Orleans was really, um, I'll never forget it. I can't, I, it's been over a year now since I've been there and I, I just am looking forward to getting back as soon as possible. Oh, you're coming back to the show. No, I wish, uh, I wish. Now they're shooting season two right now in Prague. Oh, God. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I want to be an actor just so I can get to go to these places. <laughs> I mean, but that's the thing. Like, you you know, if you can, if my ideal world, and this is something that we did for Midday Black, too, is like, write a movie that takes place in a beautiful place and then produce it. So then we all got to hang out on Whidbey Island together for a month. We're great. Next one, you know, like maybe we... Uh, you know, set it in the steppes of Mongolia somewhere so we can just go live there for a while together, you know. So what's been one of your greater traveling adventures in a film that you shot? Uh, I would say this one, uh, Midday, is definitely one. There was a, a short film I did years ago, I remember really fondly, that shot in a small town in Maine called Monson which is near the uh, the beginning or the end, depending on which way you're going, and the Appalachian Trail. Um, and then, just, you know, working in New York is always fun for those different reasons. Times Square. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully not. Hopefully not ever. <laughs> but, you know, Brooklyn or in, you know, if you get to shoot in, um, uh, you know, like, Grand Central or in the Chrysler building or just in in some in a park somewhere. A lot of times, you know, films, they take place in really interesting locations. So sometimes it's just, you know, a street in Brooklyn, but sometimes it's, uh, you know, an abandoned elevated train track somewhere that is just really cool, the pocket of the city that you never see. I'm from Brooklyn. I don't, I, so I know full well what you're talking about. Yeah. Where are you from? What part? Canarsie. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Can't you tell? <laughs> totally not. Totally not. Do you still, do you live in Canarsie still? No, I live, I live, actually now I live in Queens, but I lived in Manhattan for 30 years. So I kind of lost my Brooklyn accent, but you know, once you get together with family, done. Sure. Yeah. Once, don't get me, yeah. Once somebody starts rolling with something and then gives you a cannoli, then forget it. Yeah. Yeah, I lived in um I lived in Manhattan until let's say I guess for the first 17 years, 18, 19, 19 years I lived in the city, and then I've lived in Brooklyn for the last eight. And I really I always poo-pooed Brooklyn. I was like, who wants to go way the hell out there? You know? And now that I'm here, it was imagine thinking about living in, in Manhattan is equally as absurd. Except though I can't. I can't imagine, um, you know, I can't imagine, I couldn't imagine going back. What was I doing all those years? I lived in the East Village in my 20s and 30s and then have, yeah, I lived in Bed-Stuy and uh, I adore it. My family loves it. I just, I think it's my, um, you know, there's a certain vibe here that I've recognized in New Orleans. I kind of just neighbors, neighbors and community mean a lot. We love it, especially having a young family. It's um, it's very different living here from living in the East Village in my 20s. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So you got kids. Yeah, couple kids. Uh, one is going to turn, my oldest is going to turn four on Friday, and my youngest just turned four months last week. So, wow, that's a nice little gap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think it'll be, I think it's a good, it's, I think it's a good spread. My wife's older brother is like two and a half years older than her. Um, I think in, in an ideal, I think we, we had somehow planned maybe to do it sooner, but you know, life happens. And so now it's three and a half years gap, which seems good to me. Yeah. Yeah. Is your wife in the biz too? She is not, though she used to be, she was a freelance producer for advertising. So she got the, she gets the weird, unpredictable schedule um, nature of it. And they're kind of in the creative side of it and uh, um, the, the financial side of it and the unemployed and then employed and then, you know, okay, we got to cancel this vacation because you just got a job or all of a sudden, like, then you have more time than you thought you would. And so somebody can take the kids when the other person has something come up. So thankfully we're understanding of each other's, um, uh, yeah, just that kind of whirlwind nature of it. Yeah, so it makes sense to, to be on stage when you have little kids. So you don't have to go to a foreign location and leave them for too long. You can commute. That's nice. Yeah. If you can, I mean, in the beginning of a, of a play, you're rehearsing during the day and then you're home at night, which is great for bedtimes and baths and things. And then when you're performing, yeah, you're, you're available for the days and then gone for bedtimes and baths, which, you know, then puts it in the other person's hand, but, you know, swap out. Yeah. So when you made this movie, uh, Midday Black, Midnight Blue, you were basically like a new dad for all intents and purposes. Yeah, he turned, Indy turned two on our first day of shooting. Um, and that was a challenge that was definitely the longest I'd been gone. Um, and the first time that uh, my wife was, you know, a, a single parent <laughs> for five weeks while I was gone. Um, and she, you know, she was a champ as, as could be expected. Um, but it was, yeah, it was hard. And I, I won't say that none of that experience went into the performance too. I think it's, uh, oh, I bet. It, to go into any kind of detail of it, I think we kind of muddy the waters about what the, A, what the film is about and B, what parenting is about. But, you know, uh, when you, you know, what I was saying earlier about, uh, the music, especially about having something and being connected to something and then having that, having lost that connection. Um, that was definitely um, very palpable in my experience out West. And, and it's, it, it invariably made its way into the performance somehow. And I can, when I can see in certain scenes, I remember exactly what was going on. And so it's for me watching it, I can, see a lot of my family in there which is really interesting oh that is interesting yeah. anyone in particular um yeah i mean my you know my wife and my son at the time uh, and looking at you now you're so clean shaven and, and handsome and in this movie you've got like the full-on beard yeah yeah. <laughs> and, yeah so that must have added a lot to the performance 
Um, I do. I did go to school for beard acting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did. I did study facial hair performing. <laughs> and uh, it's one of my favorites, you know. One of my favorites. You know what I mean. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah, it's nice to be. You know, there's something. You're. You're right. I mean, everything brings something, right? You know, whether it's music or the shirt that you're wearing or the shoes that you're wearing or whatever's growing on your face. You know, or you know, it's like, like being away from home and sleeping in a hotel room alone versus coming home at night and sleeping under the same roof with your family. I mean, they're all different experiences, and you bring it all to bear. So. Um, it's definitely nice not to shave and like, you know, with Ian had not paid much attention to his physical appearance. And so it was great because that's generally my inclination is to just kind of let stuff go. Because yeah. it's, so much easier. <laughs> it's so hard to shave sometimes, Robin. It's a whole to do. And I did it for you. But thank you for noticing. <laughs> Well, I got to let you go. Uh, it was such a pleasure speaking to you. Yeah, this was awesome. Thank you so much, Robin. I really appreciate it. The love you die for that I wanted to know. We just have to recognize it. I wanted to know. I wanted to know. Always news. Always refreshing. Always candid. Always billing about. Robin Milling delivers what celebrities are saying to you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.